what's up what's up everybody it's your girl no mercy here it's tuesday night so you already know what time it is it's time for no punches pulled with me of course no mercy some of you probably already know who i am those of you that are new today thank you for joining me i'm your host brooke millbrook formerly known in the fight business as brooke no mercy deardorff i'm a retired professional boxer held the wbc lightweight title I, until I retired and it was inducted into the International Women's Boxing Hall of Fame last year. Uh, I've been through some good, some bad, and of course, a lot of BS in the sport of women's boxing. Y'all know how it is. Welcome to my platform. But this is where we talk the talk and walk the walk. We bring out the truth in women's boxing. Um, but today, y'all, I don't know if you guys saw it, but we're switching it up a little bit. Um, I'm having my first male boxer on the show um i know i always do just females but i could not turn down the opportunity to have this special guest with us today uh, my boxing sister sharon anios when i had her on insisted that i have uh this guest here today with us and he happily agreed so i appreciate him taking the time of his busy schedule to join us uh, but we've got uh y'all must have forgot but i haven't forgotten who it is but Roy Jones Jr. in the building, um, ride or die fan, been a ride or die fan since day one, um, through all the highs and lows of his career, always been there. Um, my husband and I are, he's one of our favorites. So um, if I if I get a little nervous, y'all, don't worry about it. Uh, I'm nervous to speak to him. So if y'all got questions, shoot them in there, but I got a good list of questions for him. Um, probably needing no introductory, but amateur, he represented the USA in the 1988 Summer Olympics, winning the light middleweight silver medal after one of the most controversial decisions in boxing history, held multiple world titles in four different weight classes, including middleweight, super middleweight, light heavyweight, and heavyweight. He is the only boxer in history to start his professional career at light middleweight and go up to win a heavyweight title. He's known for possessing exceptional hand speed, athleticism, footwork, explosive punching power, movement, and his amazing reflexes. He holds the record for the most wins in unified light heavyweight title belts in boxing history at 12. He was named Fighter of the Year by Ring Magazine in 94 and the World Boxing Hall of Fame in 2003. He's a three-time winner of the Best Boxer ESPY Award in 96, 2003. The Boxing Writer Association of America named him Fighter of the Decade for the 90s. And having boxed over 40 years, he holds the record for the longest pro career of any heavyweight boxing champion. He's faced the best of the best. Y'all already know. I don't even have to tell you. Not to mention has some of the best songs ever with his rapping skills and has even dabbed in acting as well as commentating and training fighters. The list goes on and on, y'all. Help me welcome in Roy Jones Jr. to the show. Thank What's so up, much. champ? How are you? How you doing? I'm good. How y'all doing? Good, good. Thank you. I appreciate you oh, taking the time. Hold on, sir. Hold on. I got you. Okay, sorry about that. Yeah, I'm so good. Thank you guys for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure to be on your show. Anytime you're a friend of Sharon, you're automatically a friend of mine. So thank you so much for having me. Thanks for all the kind words, and thank you and your husband for always being loyal fans. Yes, I appreciate it. Yes, yeah, when I had her on a few weeks ago, I interviewed Sharon. 
Um, and she just kept like, you got to have Roy on. I'm like, Roy is not going to come on my show. What are you talking about? And she's like, yes, he will. I'm like, you ask him, let me know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's an honor to have you here. I've always wanted to meet you one day, hopefully in person, but we'll see how that goes. Thank you. Um, so first off, can you just take us back to the beginning? I mean, I know all about your whole entire career, but can you tell us about Little Roy, your childhood? What actually led you to boxing? Uh, what actually led me to boxing was my dad. Um, he was so overwhelmed by the way that Muhammad Ali performed. So I, I happened to be watching a fight with him one night, and I saw how caught up into Muhammad Ali he was. So I said, you know, if someone teaches me how to throw my hands, I can do what Muhammad Ali is doing because basically he's upsetting his opponent, yeah. getting them mad enough to kill him. He's staying calm and having fun doing it, and he's beating them. So if yeah. somebody teaches me how to use my hands, I can do the rest. And that's what led me to box. All right. All right. That's good. Um, yeah, Muhammad Ali, your time, your idol, I'm sure. Um, very similar styles, though. I can't even I can't even deny it. Um <laughs> I can't even deny it. Um, as, as an amateur, though, you racked up a record of 121 and 13, which, damn, I only have 15 amateur fights. You know how it was for women back then. It wasn't easy. Um, nobody would fight me no more, so I'm like, well, I guess I'm a GoPro. Let's do it. Um, I mean, you probably don't know who I am, but, I mean, I did my thing for a little while. I know of you. I know of you. I heard a lot about you, and congratulations on becoming a world champion because Anybody that can set out in boxing and become a world champion, you have to be pretty good. It takes a lot of hard work. It takes dedication. It takes faith in God and faith in yourself. And if you can't have those things, I don't care who you are, where you are, where you're from. If you don't have those things, it's going to be almost impossible to, to become a world champion. So for you to dedicate your life to boxing and become a world champion says a lot about you. I don't care who you are. I appreciate that. that. Uh, well, I beat a friend. I mean, I could guess you would consider a friend, Mia St. John. That's who I took. Yeah, that. yeah, I know you beat me. Uh, yes, I heard about that. <laughs> yeah, twice. Twice. Not once, but yeah. twice. Um, right. But um, you won the silver medal <clears throat> title in many different tournaments, but you represented USA at the, eight, at the 1988 Olympic Games being the youngest wait a minute. ever. Wait, 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 wait. You got to change that. Change I ain't it. win on Olympic. I ain't win on silver medal in a bunch of tournaments. I won a gold medal at most tournaments. I yes. was robbed of a gold medal in the Seoul Olympic Games. You got I won it. gold medals in most every tournament I performed in. So you got I only it. lost I lost very few tournaments. So yes. yes, I was robbed of a gold medal in Seoul career, but I'm yes. not winning a bunch of silver medals. I don't settle for silver so easily. So don't No, no. <laughs> I meant you won the silver at the Olympics. I know what you mean. Many but. tournaments. Um youngest member though on the USA Olympic team. Um, took silver in one of the most controversial decisions ever in boxing history. Um, you didn't lose a single round, though, in route to the finals. Uh, lost two to three to Park in the in the finals. But it's it's been reported that Park apologized afterwards, and even the referee told you he couldn't believe they were doing this. Is that true story? Like, tell us what actually happened. That's exactly what happened. When I, when I went back out there, I told my coach, I looked at my coach in the corner, I said, they got me. It was a sort of little council table of Koreans cheering. I said, oh, they got me. And he said, what you mean? I said, they got me. And the referee said, I, if they're doing, doing this, I, I can't believe they're doing this to you. I said, yes, they are. They got me. And sure enough, they said, and they went on point, 3-2. I knew it was over. And they gave it to him. Yeah. Shame, shame. Um, but I know you've said in the past, though, that 
you see it as a blessing now, like that helped you pave the way for the rest of your career. It definitely, it definitely was a blessing because had I not went through that experience, I probably would never have become the champion that I became because the way that I was taught, the way that I was raised up was that anytime there's adversity, you take that adversity and you turn it into something good. So by God giving me that adversity early, that meant that God must must have wanted me with a different mind frame as a professional boxer. He didn't want me to just be another professional boxer. He wanted me to go far beyond my right. own expectations. I didn't know that at the time, but I quickly realized that once I got back home. Right. True story. True story. Um, a quick question from a guest. We got Eddie Barrington. Don't be so hard on yourself. You're a world champion. I appreciate you, Eddie. I know I am. The shit's behind me on the wall. Um, <laughs> But uh, he wants to know if Roy could do one thing to help women's boxing for the better, what would you do? Uh, I would definitely try to become a promoter that promoted strictly just public women. It would be bad, be hard, but you promote strictly women and you get the women to understand that there has to be a proper buildup to make the fight. And we can't have women fighting that really aren't that good because if you're not that good, you need to fight other women that aren't that good until you learn how to defend yourself, until you learn how to box at, a, at an appropriate level. Because yeah. what turns people off most of the time is that you have one woman that's really, really, really good, and you have another woman that really can't defend herself. Nobody yeah. wants to see that. People no. want to see competition. So we got to figure out a way to, excuse me, now I know it's not a lot of women that box or where well, it wasn't in the past, but it's a lot more now. But in the past, it was very hard, like you said. You get 15 fights, nobody wants to fight you anymore because you're experienced and you know what you're doing now. Yeah. I don't want to say that. Some people take it serious, some people don't. So it's a lot more difficult for a woman to get the amount of fights that a man gets because of the levels of competition. But we still got to try to bring those levels of competition closer, even if we have to compensate for it with weight. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the most frustrating part for me. Like in my time, the fights that were being televised as women, they were trash. And I'm like, that exactly. just makes us look bad. Like, why can't that you put good fighters out there? Yeah, that hurt the sport because there weren't enough good fighters. And like you saw, one of the best fights, period, that I've seen was uh, Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano. Yeah. That was a hell of a fight, period. I don't care what, what they are. That was, a, that was one hell of a boxing match. Yeah. You understand me? But. These were two women who were on the same level. Yes. On the same pantheon. As a matter of fact, Serrano came up a week or two to meet Katie. So it's yeah. like they, they sacrificed the weight to make the fight. But the fight turned out to be one of the most awesome fights of all time, male yeah. or female. But yes. that's what we got to have more of. And like I said, sometimes we got to make the adjustment with the weight with the weight, so that they can meet at a comfortable place for both fighters. But because there's not as many women boxers as there are men, men we got to do something to make it happen yeah yeah i mean that i like in my career i started out at featherweight 126 i went as low as 122 but i went all the way up to 135 to win the title because that's where uh -huh. the fights were so how it is sometimes. you just got to do it you just got to do it yep. um before we get though into your pro career the most important question that i have to ask and i don't think anybody has ever asked you before is why in the heck did you stop making roy jones jr boxing shoes that is the only shoe i ever wore in my entire life i have every single color my husband has every single color why did you stop making the shoes i didn't stop making it i was sponsored by brand jordan 
they made the shoe. I even contacted them not long ago and asked them if I could get the rights to it so I could start back remaking it. Yeah. They're like, no. What the hell? Michael Jordan, if you are watching this show, we need to get Roy <laughs> Jones Jr.'s shoes back. That was the only shoe I could And it was good. Yeah, every color. I never yeah. found anything else. That's awesome. That's yeah. why you were a winner. That's why I was a winner, because I had the damn shoes on. <laughs> it was the shoes. Uh, that's so funny. Yeah. No, he's like, you have to ask me about the shoes. I'm like, I will ask him about the shoes. Um, yeah, we're going to have to make that happen because, you know, I need to start working out again. I need the shoes. There we go. There <laughs> no, we I go. still got all my shoes. Trust me. They all still brand new. We're good. Um, before we get, uh, though, you went 21 and 0, though, 20 knockouts before making your first title attempt against the legendary Bernard Hopkins in 93. Um, you did win by unanimous decision to capture your first IBF middleweight title. Um, it said you defeated B-Hop with a broken right hand going into the fight. Tell us what it was like folk fighting with the broken hand, and what did it mean to capture your first world title? Well, it was probably going to be my only shot if I didn't take it. I know my hand was messed up, so Derek Morgana told me I shouldn't fight. But I said, listen, if I don't fight now, I may never get the shot again. I'm not willing to sell my soul to these big promoters and just do anything for a fight, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take advantage of this one opportunity, do it, get these defenses, get out of this contract, and I'm going to be a free man. And that's what I did. So going into the fight, it was tough, but I knew that my mental was far beyond his, and I knew that I could beat him with one hand, and I did. Yeah, you definitely did that. For sure did. Um, Michael Orr wants to know, can you run us through the two rounds with Ricky Randall to win the debut? Well, it was kind of easy. Uh, he came out. I could tell right away he was one of those fighters that were overmatched. He wasn't my equal, and I knew that right away. So I just kind of put the jab on him, figured him out. First time fight without the headgear in a long time. So I had to get comfortable in there. Once I got comfortable, I just kind of just took him out. There you go, Michael. Um, Charlie Desmond. Charlie, you maybe you're new to the show. I've talked about this many times on the show, but we'll go ahead and ask Roy what he, he thinks about it. There's been talk in the past about intergender boxing matches. What are both your thoughts on this? Could it even be a fair fight? No, no, and hell no. <laughs> I've said the same thing, y'all. Listen, I'm a female fighter. I only, I, there was only maybe a hand, I can't even count, I can count on one hand how many times I sparred with a female, okay? I only sparred with men. And nine times out of ten, they were a lot bigger than me because I'm pretty small. Uh, and that's just what was available. Um, could I beat some of them? Yes. Yes, I could. Uh, but if they were bigger than me, it only took one punch. And that's really all it took because I'm so much smaller and they're just naturally stronger. So no, it's not fair. Um, no, if it's two experienced pro boxers, the male is going to beat the shit out of the woman every single time, hands down, period. It's going to happen. Simple. Simple as that. Now, grab somebody seeing that, that actually has boxed and knows what it's like to be in there. Yeah. So all the people that talk, even people that talk like they can, come on, man. It's, just, it's not fair. And it's not fair for men, in my opinion, to go get changed to a woman and compete against women because you weren't born a woman. So I right. still think that's even fair. I think you should fight at what you were born at. Uh, yeah. Even if you choose not to be that way in life, you should fight at, at, at whatever you're born to be. Because it's yes. not fair for me as a man to fight against women. And I know that naturally I'm going to be stronger, faster, and hit harder than them. Yes. And it's funny. Um, there was 
you know, back then there were several girls that I fought that I always kind of questioned, like if they were female. Because back then there were a lot of them that did not quite look so feminine. I was feminine, um, but a lot of them didn't look feminine. Um, and it's funny because if you look at my record now, it was like my third or fourth, maybe second, third, fourth fight. No, second or third fight. The girl that I fought, her name was DJ Morrison. She came out in a white beater, a pair of basketball shorts, and a pair of tennis shoes. I knocked her out. But if you go look at the record now, on my record, it says David Morrison. Yep. And when I was talking, I, I had Christy Martin on the show last week, and she's like, oh, my God, like, David Morrison, they reached out to me, and they want to fight. And they said it was a guy, but they had fought as a girl. And I said, well, I, I knocked him out. So I don't know if it was a guy or a girl, but I knocked him out. <laughs> You did what you're supposed to do anyway, so it doesn't matter what he was yeah. in that ring. You it did was. what you're supposed to do to him, but it's not fair for a, a educated and a skilled boxing man to be able to equal size yes. skilled boxing woman. It's just yes. not fair. People ask me that all the time, and I laugh. And I said, if it's in, if it's an inexperienced guy like a guy off the street, we're the same size. Could I whoop his ass? Probably. If it's me and somebody else that has the same experience as me, and they're a professional athlete, it's not going. To happen. No. It's not going to happen. Um, it's just they're stronger. They're just stronger. Much guys. stronger. Much stronger. You just have to listen. Now I've heard about, plenty of I've heard plenty of guys. Yeah, it's about nature though. They get yeah. I've I let yeah. I've heard plenty of them. Don't get me wrong, but they could hurt me back. They could hurt me back. And probably um, worse than you can hurt them. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um <laughs> I mean I've broken their noses, I've done all that shit, but the, they, they got me back, let me tell you. Right. Right. Um, just five fights later, though, after that, um, November 18th, 1994, you moved up in weight to face James Tony, the undefeated super middleweight champ who was ranked highly in the pound for pound rankings as the best in the world at 168. Build the uncivil war. First time in your career, you were considered the underdog, um, but you danced circles around him, even knocked him down with your signature left hook. That's what I know you for, the signature left exactly. hook. Uh, exactly. In the third round, won the IBF Super Middleweight World title easily, in my opinion, that night. Can you tell us about the hype leading up to the fight? What were your thoughts being considered the underdog? It was a very interesting fight, but the thing about James was James is a very educated boxer himself, a very skillful boxer, and a lot of people feared him because he was so mean even outside of the ring. Yeah. So for me, I just kind of made sure that I demanded my respect before the fight. Uh, and when the fight happened, I took the rest of my respect. So I just had to do what I had to do because I was not going to be bullied, and I wanted to be pound for pound the best. You want to be pound for pound the best, you got to beat the man in order to be the man. And at that time, Coach Maui weight class, he was the man. So yeah. I had to beat the man. You got it. True. Um, several title defenses later, though, you moved, moved up in weight again, defeating Mike McCullen via shutout decision, making you a three-division champ. Up to that point in your career, were any of your fights challenging at all to you? Not truly challenging. They were because I had to be in shape and uh, I had to be ready and be on point. But yeah. physically, I made them look easy because of my strategy and my technique and the skill level that my daddy had developed in me. I was able to pretty much over overcome anything you put in front of me. Yeah. Um, Eric B comes in and says, um, considering the politics and fragmentation in boxing, do you believe a union would unify or further divide the sport? I think a union would definitely unify the sport. Uh, it would definitely make a lot of problems with the promoters because most of the promoters don't want to 
coming together because they make more money just taking advantage of the guys when they're out there left on their own. A union would see that this does not happen. It will protect the fighters more, and therefore the promoters will be pissed, and it will turn into a pretty bad thing for them. True. Um, Michael Orr wants to know, what was the biggest challenges you faced in your career, both in and outside the ring? Uh, the biggest challenge I faced outside the ring was actually having to separate from my father. Yeah, inside the ring, inside the ring, the biggest challenge I think I had was losing all that weight coming back down from heavyweight to light heavyweight. That was very difficult for me. Yeah, and understandably difficult for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not easy to go up and down in weight, guys. It's not. It's not easy. Uh, it definitely plays a toll on your body. I can tell you that, which is why 90% of my career, I either fought at what I walked around at or I went up. I was not going down. I did it one time. I went down to 122. When I was featherweight, I was four pounds. It was freaking four pounds. I'm like, shit, I can lose four pounds. I didn't have four pounds to lose. I, there was yep. nothing on me. That was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. Would never do it again. Yep. That was only four pounds. I know I know that physical. I lost <laughs> yeah. 25 like that. Yes. Um, Eric B, do you believe the heavyweight division is clogged? What's the solution for seeing the best fights, the fight the best, and looking about and looking about boxers post retirement? The, the, heavy, the heavyweight division is good. You definitely want to look out for boxers uh, post retirement because nobody cares about it once they're done and over with. But the heavyweight division looks good right now. Uh, I still think Tyson Fury is the man, but at the same time. Uh, you got to remember that Usyk and Fury, everybody want to say they want to see Usyk versus Fury, but for the fireworks that we've been getting in the heavyweight division, Usyk and Fury is not the claim to make, mainly because they're both technicians. Neither one of them are explosive power punches. Neither one of them have that real one-punch knockout power. So they both have good undefeated records, but there's no explosiveness. There's no fireworks. And in the heavyweight division, the heavyweight division is the main division that's known for fireworks because of size. Neither one of these guys really possess that power type power. So it's not on paper, but it's not a good fight in the ring. I agree with that, yeah, 100%. Um, back to your career, though. 1997, um, you had your first loss on paper, and it was only on paper. Let me clarify that. It was only on freaking paper uh, because you were winning the fight up to the disqualification <laughs> against Montel Griffin. That fight pissed me off so damn bad. You don't even understand. Griffin took a knee. You hit him while he was down on the knee, but the faking of Montel Griffin was like the worst acting job I've ever seen in my life because he looked at you after you hit him twice and was perfectly fine until the ref was like, hey, and then he all falls out like he was dead. So, but you, you know, you came back after that though and demolished him, you know, so walk us through that. Did that have any effect on you being robbed of that, of that fight? And it's bad because my first came by disqualification loss. So if you didn't, if they didn't rob me of that fight, I robbed me of my. I may have never lost the fight. So. No, I don't think you're cutting out a little bit. Are you in a bad area? Yeah, yeah. I went. I just went through a bad area. Oh. I'm out of it now. Yeah. Yeah. I just went through. I'm out of it now. Yeah. Okay. So it should get better. All right. Cool. Um, no, you wouldn't have lost the fight. Um, at no. all. Uh, he was done after you knocked, after he took the knee. It was only a matter of time. And what, 
and, uh, and but I'm glad you guys fight, had a rematch. And, and, and what's bad was that for that first fight, what people don't understand, understand was I made a song for that fight. You know, the title of my song for that fight was Patience mm-hmm. is the Virtue. If I say Patience is the Virtue, what does that mean? I just got to wait until you get tired, he's going to quit. I'm going to make him quit. And I got him tired, and he gave up. Yeah. All the referee had to do was say, stop, and I wouldn't throw him another punch. But the referee yeah. never said stop. So if the referee no. don't say stop, I'm not going to stop. What if he's not really all the way down? I don't have time to check his knee and see. And he comes up and hits me. Then they're yeah. going to knock me out. They're going to count me out. And I'm he was on the ropes. I'm not going to walk away until the referee says stop. The referee yeah. says stop, the job is done. The referee don't say stop, he don't think the job done. What neither do I. Yeah, yeah. And he was on the ropes, so he could have just been leaning back on the ropes or sitting on the rope. I don't know what he was doing, but I have time to check. That's not yeah. my job. That's you want to stop and check? No. Like, let me look. <laughs> Who the hell does that? Nobody. All, all the referee had to do was say stop, and that would have been there. I would do another punch. Yes, totally. Um, I did have a similar situation to the ha- that happened to me. Um, I got hit when I was down. I was fighting Janine Garside. Um, she wasn't defending her title, but I was fighting her. Uh, it was one of Jackie Callen's fighters from Canada. Uh, or not. Yeah, I think she's from Canada. But I took a voluntary knee. She got me with a good body shot. No lie. Not even going to cap. The shit hurt. Uh, I took a voluntary <laughs> knee. <laughs> uh, I, I took a voluntary knee. It was in the first or second round. Um, she had like one of those metal knee braces on. Uh, yep. She kneed me in the face, cut my eye under here. And she hit me over 10 times while I was down. Now, when what? I was... Yes, when I was, and I have it on video. It, I have it on video. And it didn't uh, disqualify her. No, didn't even take a point. Didn't even give but her it a point. But it, but it disqualified me, me because the ref didn't do what he should have done. Yeah. But she hit you 10 times and she didn't get disqualified. Yeah, uh, no, no, didn't even take a point from her. Didn't even warn her, nothing. Um, continued the fight. We've, you know, we, we went on. Um, I, I would imagine I was the toughest fight she ever had. But. Yes, she would not rematch me after that, though. I was pissed because we were supposed to wow. rematch for her belts, and she wouldn't rematch me. Um, I even contested it. They, they wouldn't even overturn it. I just wanted a, a, it to be a, a, a no contest or something. I didn't want the blemish on my record. I was undefeated right, yeah. at the time. And, and people don't understand that sometimes that blemish takes a little bit of your edge away because you fight to not lose. You don't fight yeah. to lose. You fight to not lose. But we don't duck and dodge to not lose. We just fight to not lose. Once you give us a loss, now another loss don't mean that. Yes, yes, uh, but it is what it is. You know, I, I still, I still made my mark, so it's all good. Of course. Of course. Um, March first, two thousand and three, you defeated John Ruiz to become the first former middleweight title holder to win a heavyweight title in one hundred and six years. Um, the first to start your career as a light middleweight and win the heavyweight title. Also the second reigning light heavyweight champ after Michael Spinks in 1985 to move up and wait and claim the major heavyweight title in your first fight in the division. Tell us about that moment, breaking all those records in first. And what did that moment really mean to you? That moment was one of the best moments of my career. Uh, and I promise you that moment is also another testament to how good God is. Because I said, God, I've done a lot of things, but I want to go down and record for something big, something that nobody else has ever done. And what he allowed me to see was that go win the heavyweight title, you'll be the first person ever to turn pro as a junior middleweight and become heavyweight champion of the world. That has never happened. There's not a person on earth who's ever done that. You turn pro and went to the Olympics as a junior middleweight and you became heavyweight champion of the world. 
They can yeah. never take that away from you. So it's like in boxing, if you go beyond your prime and you don't do the same, they take all your accolades away, it seems, though. But in other other sports, when John Elway or Dan Marino or even Tom Brady, when they don't have a good season and after they're beyond their prime, they don't take away and say they're not the GOAT anymore. They still be yeah. the GOAT. But when you go do something like I did, something that nobody's ever done in the history of boxing, now because some other comes along goes 50 you know, they say, oh, you ain't the GOAT no more. How is that so? I'm the same right. person that did all that that nobody ever done. If you think about the 50 and 0, don't get me wrong, he, I understand, I'm cool with it. Rocky Marciano retired at 49 though, but Julio Cesar Chavez at one point was 89 and 0. Yeah, right. If he stopped, whoever going to beat that record? So is, right. is it really about the old that makes you proud find the best ever, or is it about your accomplishment, accomplishment in your prime? That's all I be arguing, and I ain't, I can't argue it because I was a guy that fought, so I, don't, I can't argue for myself, but I think my body of work says more than anything that pound for pound, that it could not be another person that has covered as many pounds in boxing yeah. as I did. I came from, I went from opponents from 152 to opponents at 226. Yeah. No other fighter ever covered that much weight and became champion in no. their whole career. Nobody. So pound no. for pound, who has to be the man? I don't know. I don't think anybody else is the man, but that, I mean, I don't know. I'm biased. <laughs> I'm biased. <laughs> um, you know? Was that always the plan, though, for you from the beginning, like to go all the way up? Like, was that the plan? No, it wasn't. That's why I tell you that by God stripping that gold medal for me in the beginning, he lit a special fire in me because he wanted me to go to special places. I had no idea. Yeah. I had no thought of ever fighting heavyweight, let alone thoughts of ever. When I was 12 years old, first time I ever got knocked down, we had a heavyweight in our gym. I actually was training still in my dad's backyard. And I was beating heavy back one day, and this heavyweight would throw a hook and hit me in the back of the head by mistake and drop me in the gym. That was a heavyweight. I was a little kid. I was like, whoa, I thought I'd never, ever fight as a heavyweight, let alone become heavyweight champ. My first my first national tournament, when I was 15 years old, you know what I wanted at? Bantamweight, 119. Oh, my God. Does that sound like, does that sound like a kid that's just going to be heavyweight? No. That's it was only insane. by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. I couldn't have thought, I couldn't have played it myself. Yeah. I just couldn't. No kid, you never see nobody at the Olympics turn pro as a middleweight or a junior middleweight and no. say, oh, I'm going to be heavyweight champion of the world one day. We don't right. think like that. <laughs> well, somebody's thinking that way. Well, that was God, it, it wasn't me. It was God's plan. God put it in, God put it in there. We got it done, exactly. though. Exactly. I, need to know, I need to know, though, after that moment, what in the hell made you decide to go back down to light heavyweight? After becoming heavyweight champion, why did you go back down and wait? Um, to be honest with you, I had a confused because I thought Bob Fitzsimmons was hit was light heavyweight champ. Then I thought he became heavyweight champ. Then I thought he went back down and regained the light heavyweight title, but it was wrong. He became heavyweight champ first. Then after he lost the heavyweight title, he went back down and won the light heavyweight title. Had I known that, I could have stopped then. But I thought he had won the light heavyweight, heavyweight, and recaptured the light heavyweight. So I wanted to do, do exactly what he did. And I did that. And what I should have did, because I didn't realize how much of a toll the uh, 25 pounds took out of me for the long haul. I thought it just hurt me that one night. I thought, oh, get a little rest, I'll be okay. I'll be able to come back and do it better. No, that took the life out of me. So yeah. I should have retired 
After I beat Trauma the first time, I should retire. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I'm and not going to disagree with down, you. And I will go down in history as the greatest fighter to ever fight. And I don't understand why I feel ain't the greatest fighter to ever fight because I feel the same person that did all that. So what erases the fact that I stayed too long or the fact that because I came all the way down from uh, 200 to 175, all muscle, stripped my body of everything that I had to make history, I thought, so that's the reason you say, oh, now you're not pound pound the best? Is that how we do this? Wow, okay. Well, and the and the, the, the thing that's so funny about that to me is, yes, I agree that after you beat Tarver the first time, that would have been a good stopping point for you to retire. I totally agree with that. Um, or to go back up to heavyweight. That would have been my two options that I would have thought would have been best for you. But every single legendary fighter that go that's pound for pound one of the best in the world in history all of them ali all of them everybody fought fights past their prime and they all end up losing at some point because they're fighting past their prime because that's just what fighters do right so but does, really but does it take away but does it take away from how high they went at the pinnacle of their prime i don't think so no exactly exa no. exa um exa it only the sport does that and it only they only do that the only people that do that are the people that don't know shit about boxing that's true i mean people, true. you know it's really the people that that come on and comment dumbass shit that's yeah. like you don't even know what you're talking about like people exactly. that are like why didn't you fight would you have fought leila lee <laughs> you just fucking dumb. Wow. She's well, 180 on. some pounds, and I fight at 126 <laughs> and 135. We're not even in the same freaking weight class. Are y'all dumb? Like, know your shit before you ask me questions. Please. Uh, <laughs> please. You know what I'm saying. Um, yes, but when you did move back down to so talking to the Tarver fight, first fight, phenomenal. Second fight, crushed me. It crushed me. Um, crushed me too. Crush me too, but I know I knew now why it happened. I knew I knew exactly why it happened and how it happened. And you know, it's like, but it's life. You know, we go through life, we live, we learn, we have to keep going. And guess what? I still had to get up again. And I had to get up again and keep going. So I did. I had to get up after the Olympics. I had to get up after the Montreal Gibbon fight. I had to get up after the Tarver knockout loss. I had to yeah. get up after all the losses. So, you know, it's like, you, just you keep going, quit. go forward. I don't stop. You know what I mean? So it's like, nothing going to make me quit. They forget that. But, you know, it's life. But like I said, why am I not judged on what I did in my prime? Right. that's what's supposed to count. That's how the football players are judged. That's how the it basketball is. players are judged. That's how the baseball players are judged. Do they all play beyond their prime? Yes. Are they as good as they were in their prime? No. But are they not judged by what they did in their prime? I mean, right. you know, it's 100%, crazy. 100%. I do feel like, though, if they had not stopped the fight in the second Tarver fight, that do you feel like that you would have regained your, like you would have regained your composure? I feel like you would have regained I think I would have. I had got myself back together by the time I got to the corner. I knew where I was. If I had the 10 second count, I think I would have got back here. Yeah. I agree. I was disappointed because they stopped it. Yeah. That was what I, I understood. Was I understood. And he knew that. I think they were judging me from the first time. They knew my body was depleted from the first fight. So I think they were trying to just kind of look out because they knew how depleted I was the first time. They probably felt I was just as depleted the second time because I lost 25 pounds of muscle. That's yeah. a lot of weight to lose. So. A lot. Yeah. A lot of people that don't know that are listening. Right. Um, I had a similar situation. I fought in New York against a girl, um, Ella Nunez. I think it was Ella Nunez. I don't even freaking know. From New York. Um, I was winning the fight. Flash knockdown. Got up. 
it was like I don't know, like the almost the last might have been the last round. One round before the last or the last round. Got up, was fine, wanted to continue, ref waved it off. And I think they did that though, only because that was the only way she was gonna win. Because she was losing. <laughs> she was from there. Um, so I've been in that situation. It fucking it right. sucks. I can't even tell y'all how much it sucks, but it sucks. It does. It does. Um, you don't know unless you lived it. So right. um Duck, we talked about though, we've talked about now your four title, your you know, your four divisions that you're in, four different weight classes. Um, how did you manage to excel and adapt your your style across all those divisions? Like how did you well, maintain your style? Yeah. What what made it good for me was that like I look at boxers today and they were not equipped with the tools that I had. So many yeah. people try to blame it on my on my talent. It's not the talent, it was my skill level. I had an yes. immaculate skill level that my dad forced me to learn when I first started boxing. I knew how to throw every punch properly. I knew how to do every quick movement properly. I knew how to defend every punch properly. I knew everything that was about throwing, defending, uh, uh, anticipating. I knew all all the, the hot stuff. So I was able to put all of that together. It took me way beyond anybody. As I even to this day, I watch boxing, but not on the fly. Terrence Crawford could. Uh, I see Tank the few adjustments. Uh, Canelo even has a hard time. Maybe he basically has a hard time with it. So it's very hard for not in today's time to find guys that know how to make adjustments on the fly. Because why? Most of them are only taught to fight one way. Right. They don't have any B plan. There's no backup plan. No. It is. So you got a is. good. That's you got a good foundation, and you you can take that foundation almost any way you go. Your body can handle. Yeah. So. yeah, and once once somebody figures that out, you're done because they they can't make adjustments. Exactly. Um, hand the hand speed though the hand speed athleticism it, it's legendary just like the rest of your career. Um, right. How did you right. hone the skills? Was it naturally God gifted the speed, or how did you hone the skills? Give us the little secret. How'd you get the edge hone, over your opponent's with the speed? Hone the speed, hone the skills from my footwork. The feet are everything. Everybody thinks boxing with the hands. That's where that's the last place I go. My boxing starts with my feet. That's what makes me so fast. That's what makes me seem like I'm five times faster than everybody else because all of my movements are calculated with my feet and done properly with my feet. So when I do things, I cut time. I cut corners because I know how to cut corners because I don't turn my toe. I don't screw my toe in when I throw my hook. I turn my upper torso, but I don't screw my toe in when I hook. So if you screw that toe in, you gotta unscrew that toe before you can do anything else. I cut that tab down. I just drag that foot, drag that foot, drag that foot. So if it stop, I can go again. When you screw it, you gotta unscrew it before you can go again. So it makes me seem way faster than most people. Yeah. Once again, yeah. not natural, not natural. That's a technicality. Now, when I was an amateur kid, when I was younger, my dad had a guy that used to box before me, or he was a little older than me, but we all boxed at the same time. He was older than me by about five or six years. Name was Curtis Green. Curtis Green was the fastest handed fighter I ever seen in my life. I mean, Green fought 165 and had the hand of uh, Jerry Russell. You understand me? At 165. Yeah. So I learned how, I saw how often his hands and his feet were an advantage for him or advantageous for him. So I kind of stole a little bit of that too. I said, you got to be quick with it while you're doing it. So I learned that as well. Yeah. 
you put the speed and the power together, it's over. Well, and not to mention the reflexes. Not to mention the reflexes, natural reflexes. Yeah, natural reflexes. What's up, Angie? I see you, girl. Thanks for joining in. Uh, Michael wants to know, in your opinion, who's the next up-and-coming heavyweight out of the U.S.? Out of the U.S., I think it's Jared Evans. Jared beat baby Evans. Uh, Michael, is there anybody that you really wanted to fight that you didn't get to fight? They want to know. Nigel Penn, Chris Eubank Sr., and Steve Collins. I wanted to fight all three of them. But what was funny was that I didn't know this until later in my career. James Tony kind of had got on television and really made all three of them shut up and back down before I beat them. I didn't know this until afterwards, later, long beyond my career. So they wouldn't think they were all not even considering coming to fight James because they think he's too good. So if you go beat the guy that they think is too good, you think they're going to fight you? No. Not going to happen. Um, he says, as we try to look at every loss as a lesson, what has been the biggest lesson you've learned from your losses? My main loss was that, like, like I know that, here's he the biggest thing, I can tell you the truth. The problem I let people make or allow people to make was when I was a fighter, I always kept my little guys with me that I trained too, right? My little crew. Because my crew was a representation of me. Mm-hmm. When I let them all cut my crew away from around me, that made it very hard for me to see what I do wrong or what I, what I do right or what I don't do what I should do. Because my crew, watching them every day, reminded me of what to do and what not to do. Because I had an eye on them all the time. My people didn't know was nobody in my gym knew boxing the way I knew boxing. So when I teach my crew stuff, it's just really a reflection of me. And it reminded me of what to do and what not to do. So having my crew around really, really made it much easier for me because it kept me reminded, it kept me sharp. When my crew got taken away from around me, and it wasn't by me and my doing, but they all was always complaining because I helped too many people. They kept trying to cut them and cut them and cut them. So they finally got it where I had nobody. Well, when my crew got cut away from around me, Little mistakes that I had known not to make from watching my crew, I started making. Why? Because nobody in boxing or around me at the time understood my skill set. They say that skill set came from my dad. My coach Mark was good, but Coach Mark was more of a disciplinary than a skill teacher. When I first hired him, I just my my people. I mean, can't see the reflection of myself now. My yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me? Um, they want what, what they want to know what needs to happen um, for there to be a major for there to be major league boxing. Say it again. Um, they want to know what, what needs to happen for there to be major league boxing.
of these today. We need Then it came in, then it ran your people, then it ran it to the boxers in that point of the guy here. So, you know what I'm saying? Are you in a bad area again? You're cutting out a little bit again. They didn't hear any of that, they said. You're about to go in the house? Okay, I can wait till you get a better connection. All right. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably connecting to the Wi-Fi, yeah. I, yes, Graham, yes. You are connected to Wi-Fi? Okay, good. Are you coming back to me? Oh no, we lost him. No, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Me and Lucy. I'm back. <laughs> He's back. Yeah, okay. I'm back. All right. Okay. Um, where was I? Okay, yes, I know. Um, it's great now. They said fabulous. I love you guys. Thank you for okay. helping me out. Okay. Um, oh, they want you to re-answer the major league of boxing. Like how what do we oh, like do? Like I said, for Dana White came in and he started UFC. So it gave him the credibility and the way to be able to kind of run the whole thing because he invented it. Boxing yeah. was invented long before any of us came along. So to yeah. find a respectful or reputable face in boxing that we trust to run it is going to be very difficult. And that would be good if we had that, but they don't trust nobody. And when you try to say something with social media now, anything you say, it's somebody going to take a negative. No matter what it is, you can talk positive all you want. If you say anything too much, Somebody's gonna find a negative way to spin it. Yeah. And when they spin it, they're gonna find a few more other people that can agree with their negativity and spin it with them. So nobody ever gonna be right. Yeah, that's like anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Exactly. And that's how it happens on, on the internet now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and in boxing as a whole, let me tell exactly. you. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Dirty ass business. If you're not in it, you don't know <laughs> and you don't understand, but it is. Yep. Um, you've been in the ring with so many greats. Everybody knows. I don't even have to mention them. Who would you consider, though, your toughest opponent and why? The toughest opponent I would fought was probably James Hunter. It's called James Hunter is capable of knocking you out anywhere from round 1 to round 15. Not round 12, round 1 to round 15. And we were only fighting 12-round fights. And he still tried to catch you after the fighting beat you again. So he was tough. Also, he fights that shoulder roll. But the same shoulder roll that Floyd uses, but James, to me, was much more devastating because he knocked out more people behind him. He threw combinations. He went to knock you out. So I always yeah. say to me, he was a much better shoulder roll fighter than Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, I can picture it. I can picture that. I mean, you talk. Do, do you think? I mean, I'm a fan of Floyd's. I'm, I'm sure you. I mean, me I can't not be me a too. fan of Floyd's. Um, me too. But do you believe? I mean, he believes really that he's. The pound for pound best that's ever lived. I don't, I can't. If you go back even farther past the generations, I think that he's phenomenal. He will be in the top of one of the best to ever live. But what's your list of top, 
let's say top five of all time, including yourself. Where would you rate yourself? Top five. Muhammad Ali. Uh, I ain't gonna rate myself, but Muhammad Ali. Um, Sugar Ray Robinson, Salvador Sanchez. And when I say Sugar Ray, it could be Robinson or Leonard. They both pretty much the same. Yeah. Uh, Salvador Sanchez and uh, Roberto Durant. Mike Tyson, Roy Jones. <laughs> All Come of you won that. Come on now. Um, you've had an illustrious career spanning over three decades. What are you? What are some key lessons that you've learned about resilience and longevity in this sport? If you take care of your body, your body will take care of you. I didn't smoke or drink earlier because I knew I was going to go longer than I probably was supposed to. And if you think about it, I went eight rounds this year at 54 years old, a good solid eight rounds since a 36-year-old because my body has still been fortunate enough to be able to go. So if you take care of your body, it'll take care of you. Now, I probably overly, overly abused my body with making the weights, going up and down and all that, but and those things will come back on you too. So I'm not saying that won't be healthy forever, but yeah. my body held up for a long time. I don't smoke. I don't drink. Not at all. Yeah, I know. I know, I know the song. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if y'all can, well, y'all let it go on any, any music platform. I got a new, new single out called Never Turn My Back. Yeah, Check I got it. It's me, it's me, SM Bullet, and uh, my son, DeAndre. So okay. Check it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I gotta hear that one. Yeah. Speaking of your sons, if I'm if I'm correct, you have twins, right? Yep. Okay. How old are they now? They're thirty-one. They never box though. No, they never box. I got thirty-one-year-old twins. I got a twenty-three-year-old son, and I got a fourteen-year-old son. And none of them want to box. No, 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 no. You don't want them to box, or they don't want to box. They don't want. What else can they do? What else can they do? They could be you. Oh, phone call, he says. I think I lost my audio. Did you get it? Oh, they're saying they're saying to do a refresh. If it, is it you can't hear me? Can you do a refresh? Hmm. That's strange. Hold on, I'll text him. Can't understand. I can't hear a thing no more. You can't hear nothing? Okay, he's doing a refresh. Thanks guys for joining me, even those of you that are not commenting, I appreciate you all being here. It happens after phone calls. Good to know, I did not know that. Yeah, there you go, not Yeah, my uh, my guys behind the scenes said that it happens when you get a phone call, you lose your audio. Oh, I got it. So okay. now you know. Yeah. Um, let's see, where were we? I guess I gotta ask some of these questions over here before I get too far down, I miss them all. Um, decentralized voting and score keep, 
being with advanced cameras like they use in Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL. I guess they yeah. want to know what you think of that. Yeah, I would be. I would definitely be for that. Anything that make it fair, I would love. Anything that make boxing more fair than it is now and make boxing right, I would do. Yeah, I'm tired of the robberies. Yeah, exactly. Anything um, that make it better. Speaking of robberies, um, I know you know my girl. My, I mean, she's my sister. Love her to death. Uh, Chevelle Hallback. I know you know yep. her. Yep. Well, uh, y'all are in the same kind of same area. Yeah. Um, Chevelle and Nate Campbell went with me to Mexico for my rematch with Mia St. John. Um, my husband couldn't go at the time, so I called Chevy. I had just met her uh, not long before that. We fought on the same card in California, and I was like, girl, I got nobody. Like, I don't want to go to Mexico by myself. And she's like, girl, I'll go. And Nate's my boy. Like, I'll just tell him to come down because I can't be there the whole week. So I'll have him come down and, like, work out with you and keep you, like, going. And then I'll come down, like, right before and corner you. I'm like, all right, right. cool. Um, so that was the first time I met Nate Campbell in the airport when he met me at our layover flight. So that was nice. an experience. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> that was a, that was an experience. Um, talk about nervous going to Mexico, nervous meeting a, a famous professional male boxer. Um, <laughs> and then he being, you know, working out with me. It was, it was a good time, though. It was a good time. Nice. Um, nice. Speaking to her, though, her last fight. Did you see her last fight when she got totally freaking robbed? Did you see that no, fight? I, I, not to see Chevy last fight. I heard about it. I thought I heard she got absolutely robbed. Oh, my God. Chevy is a hell of a fight. Yeah. Yep. I heard it. And they, that's why we need open scoring. And we need the advanced, any kind of advanced camera we can get. But we definitely need open scores so we can see above before it all happens a, a judge that's up with the foolishness you know yes. and get him out of there yeah we need to get rid of all these freaking biased judges and yep. the ones who don't know what the hell they're looking at exactly um you've been celebrated though for your unit we talked about it your movement footwork how did you develop the distinct style and what role did it play for your success years and years and years of working uh in the gym on footwork my father made us work on footwork very uh diligently and the footwork was really the main basis of my success. Um, talking fight sports box. Um, okay, Graham, I got you. Um, I don't want to miss anybody's comments because I don't want them to yeah. get mad at me. Wait, we um, got about two minutes left though, so. That's it? Oh my God, well, hold on. Then I got to get to my, my, my better questions. <laughs> hold on. Um, Oh, I know. After you after you worked with Sharon Anos, she met you in your gym. So I yep. that's how we got the conversation because she said that right. you were the only male fighter she ever met that was actually like treated her as an equal, were friendly, all of that, welcome yep. her in the gym. Yep. Um, any other female boxers that you have worked with, or what do you think of women's boxing as a whole? Yeah, I work with a lot of female boxers. I train a German fighter by the name of Ikon Kerwat. Um, I work with Sinisa Estrada some in the gym. Uh, I train another German amateur girl by the name of Zena Nassar. Uh, my wife trains. So I train, I work with a lot of female boxers. I love working with female boxers. And the one thing about female boxers is they pick up a little quicker than male boxers because okay. they don't have the power, but they have the intellect. So they catch on to what I teach a little bit quicker than even the guys do. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, songs. We were talking about the songs. Can't be touched. You almost forgot. Body head. Go hard, go home. Body head. I know every single one of them word for word. <laughs> um, we used to work out to them all the time. Yeah, but tell us good. about your music venture. What did that mean to you? Was that like fun or just like a hobby? 
very fun and uh i want to use music as my form of retirement so that's why i got into it but i also like music because when you express yourself in music there's not an argument there's not a rebuttal they can talk about it, but they can't say anything while that song going on because they don't give them time to they play a song you got three minutes you got the stage is yours you say what you want to say and they really can't say nothing to you afterwards unless they know you personally yeah facts um now now my style though my style of boxing i people always told me i'm like a mike tyson right that that's my style i will take right. as many as i need to get on the inside because that's, that's exactly. why i got to because i'm short exactly. um, my husband idolize, idolize you you always he always said he fights like roy jones Actually, he's got good footwork um nice. he would love to work with you he's he would love to work with you with fighters he was my coach okay. he was my mix. Okay. i mean he does mitts like um like roger mayweather like i yeah. can't do mitts with nobody else like they have to right. have a different kind of style um but you you had the celebrity boxing match with mike tyson all-time favorites you and mike that's my two all-time favorite fighters you and mike because i that was just my style um what was it like fighting mike tyson i know you want to fight him in your prime right yeah i did but it was crazy i never thought he'd be that hard to hit and i knew he was strong and i knew he was as strong as he was but to still be that strong at 54 was a bit of a surprise too that dude's yeah. still strong as an ox, and he's still very difficult. Well, I've seen him working out before, and I was like, damn, yeah. he's still hitting hard. Strong as an ox. Yeah. Um, well, there's so many amazing male fighters. I've only interviewed females. You're my first male fighter on the show because it was like a, a I, female thing. I appreciate that. See, this was Sharon knows about me. Sharon yeah. knows that I love to be first. But she told you he'll do it. But I said, get to be the first male. And she told yeah. me I was going to be the first male. So I love that. So thank you again for having me. I enjoy yes. being the first of, of anything. Uh, and I just, like I said, it's an honor and a pleasure. And it's so nice to meet you. And once again, congratulations on all the beautiful things you've done in boxing. And I uh, look forward to doing great things. And tell your husband, if he has any good fighters that he really would like to excel to the next level, catch up with me. Sharon has all my contact. And let's make it happen. All right. Well, I got your contact not, now. If you program right. me on your phone, that's right. you, got, that's right. you got my info. There um, it is. My guys want to know if I gotta do the the. I'm gonna close out the show real quick. Can you stay for a couple minutes? I guess he wants to ask you something. Okay. All right. Um. So I'm gonna just end the show, guys. I appreciate you guys for coming in tonight. If you guys miss any questions, let me know. I will ask Roy and get you the answers. If I miss your questions, I apologize. But thank you all for being here. I'll see y'all again, same place, same time, next Tuesday with No Punches Pull with me, No Mercy. Have a great night, y'all. <laughs>